0: Is there anything better than the fall weather when you can get a fire going and you're enjoying some wonderful beverages, whatever of your choosing, with friends and family? Ah, it was a great weekend. I hope you had a great one as well. And we're getting into Whiskey Weeks, the heart of it. We'll have Tim Pearsant here with us in just a little bit, the owner founder of Chattanooga Whiskey. And then next week on our show, we're scheduled to have Ted and Christian Huber from Huber's Winery and Starlight Distilling in Indiana. They're a family-owned operation, and they're a really cool story, uh, so so you don't want to miss that. And Remember, Whiskey Weeks is presented by Ober Gatlinburg, which is our giveaway. You can win four packs of tickets to Ober Gatlinburg in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Premium wristbands, tram ride, over $200 value. All you got to do is go to our Instagram page, follow the directions, and those could be yours. You got a little more time to sign up, so don't wait. And remember, come discover all the wonderful things that Ober Gatlinburg Ski Area and Amusement Park has to offer. Experience breathtaking views as you ride the aerial tramway from downtown Gatlinburg to the mountaintop to play shop and dine. Summer tubing, wildlife encounter, coaster, ice bumper cars, alpine slide, chairlift, year round ice skating, and much more equals fun for everyone. During the winter months, enjoy snow tubing, skiing, or snowboarding, or play in the Cubby Snow Zone with your little ones. Fun festivals round out the calendar with Mayfest in the spring and Oktoberfest each fall. A mountaintop of fun and excitement high above Gatlinburg is waiting for you at Ober Gatlinburg Ski Area and Amusement Park. And remember, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Hops Spirits, so you don't want to miss our great giveaway here for Whiskey Weeks, and let's not waste any more time and get right into it with us today on the Hops and Spirits podcast for Whiskey Weeks. This Tim Pearson, owner, founder of Chattanooga Whiskey, and of course, chattanooga tennessee tim welcome in thanks jonathan it's gonna be on here man now my first question is you know when i'm looking around at at different things trying to research stuff came across an article from forbes and i saw this picture of you rocking a very wonderful looking mustache you still rocking that right now or you know or did you retire that
1: i i uh shaved it 24 hours later
0: Uh, (laughs) there you go (laughs) As, uh, I, so it,
1: I, I can't, I can't be, uh, I can't be defined by my facial hair. So, um, so yeah, I was like, all right, that was it. I'm good. Moving on.
0: And there's proof of it though. So, you know, there's a picture. So if anyone right. ever wonders, there is proof, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, it did exist. Yes. It existed <laughs> on and off for many years, but I want to say since that article, I don't think I've, it's come back, so.
0: Uh, well, now, one thing that I, I do find very interesting is, uh, you know, you, you obviously, you know, got into the whiskey business in a very interesting way. But what made you go kind of into whiskey? Because, you know, your, your family has, has a success, uh, successful business and, and you could have gone that route. But why would you go with the craft distilling and whiskey?
1: Yeah, um, it was the history of whiskey in Chattanooga. And it was uh, my friendship. Um, at the time with, uh, Joe Ledbetter and it was this, the combination of, uh, just our passion for wanting to bring it back. And, um, and then of course, you know, social media and the, t- and where Facebook was and the t- uh, you know, at that time being able to, you know, relate and communicate a story and, you know, it was kind of unfiltered and, um, there weren't all the algorithms that there are now. And um, that's kind of where everybody hung out. And so it was honestly just a, a marriage of things that came together and uh, that that really started the snowball rolling down the hill. And uh, it just picked up speed every day. And um, all of a sudden we were in the heat of, you know, the battle of changing laws uh, before we knew it. And we were, you know, putting... And and just before then, you know, we're putting all the pieces of the puzzle together in terms of what our first release was going to be and basically just kind of flying by the seat of our pants, like, (laughs) you know, like a lot of entrepreneurs and that, and we were, you know, both around 30 years old at the time. Um, So I was, uh, I was, so I graduated Auburn University and when I was uh, 22 or 23 and then, um, and then I went to go work for my dad for you know, uh, pretty much up until I was 30 and just, you know, I guess taking over the family business was, was never really an interest of mine. And, but it was, but I enjoyed working with my father and, um, and being in manufacturing was cool. And so I'm still in manufacturing, so I still have that connection and that's cool. Um, but it wasn't like a great grandfather or great, great grandfather that distilled or anything like that. I was not a, I was not a distiller and I was not a home brewer. Um, it was a, it was a, I, I, you know, I was born and raised in Chattanooga and i moved downtown Chattanooga, uh, kind of at the beginning of my professional career, right out of college. My wife and I bought a house downtown and kind of at the beginning of the Chattanooga Renaissance and Chattanooga has got a cool tourism side. It's very outdoorsy. And to be able to pull this like old manufacturing back to Chattanooga for the first time in a hundred years, have the tourism, uh, element as something that we were working toward, do something with a friend of mine, just all of those things that came together was what I was really passionate about, and that's how it got started.
0: And then did you ever really expect the Vote Whiskey campaign to kind of go as it did and you know, take off, I mean, I mean to the point where you were able to finally bring whiskey production back to Chattanooga?
1: Well, we started off, with, I mean, I guess, well, really the whole time it was kind of one conversation at a time. And, you know, we were, we went about it very respectfully, but pretty early on, I think we, we began to realize that it just wasn't going to be as easy as we had hoped. Um, and the, the conversation around, you know, like uh, with a couple of young guys bringing, you know, quote unquote, intoxicating liquor manufacturing back to Chattanooga, a Southeastern town in Tennessee for the first time in a hundred years, is just not a conversation that they really wanted to have. Uh, I say they, I mean the legislators. So that's, that's where the vote whiskey campaign, that's what, that's, you know, it was inspired because we knew that we were going to have to make some noise um, by basically just raising awareness and getting people asking questions and getting people behind it, the community. And, um, and so to, to kind of basically move it along, move our efforts along, you know, so we started off as a County deal and, um, and then all of a sudden that snowballed into a, into a, a state deal because there were, there were, uh, laws that passed craft distilling laws. The first craft distilling law that passed was in 2009. Um, but there's 95 counties in Tennessee and many of them were left out, including Chattanooga. And so we were, our first thought was maybe we could just be adopted into that bill. And it just wasn't, you know, again, that wasn't, as easy as we thought it would be. And so we ended up, uh, ultimately creating new bills and, uh, which became a big deal. And, um, and then we, you know, we were successful in getting those signed in, in, uh, May of 2013. So really, you know, starting October, 2011 and it not being legal to distill until May, 2013, we thought it would be much, much sooner than that. Uh, but if it weren't for the vote whiskey campaign and the power of the community coming together and that whole message um, and that we wanted to do it. Right. We didn't want to like, we weren't really just, uh, this, this wasn't really just about capitalizing on, you know, on, um, Chattanooga's name for a few bucks and then, and then getting out of it. We wanted to, we wanted it to be a legitimate business. We wanted to do right by the city. And I think as we had more conversations, we raised awareness through the vote whiskey campaign, the community saw that. And then, uh, and then, of course, taking it to the state was kind of a a whole other level. But it was a very exciting time, and um, there were times that we thought that it was not going to pass, you know, and we thought that would that would probably be the end of it, or we would, you know, the more likely thing would be that we just take it to a nearby county where it was legal to distill. And uh, even if we had to be in the middle of nowhere, um, that's not what we wanted to do, obviously. And so we fought, we fought all the way, fought hard until for almost two years. And yeah, we were uh, got the laws passed, and it changed the distilling industry really for the entire state of Tennessee. You know, there was only there were less than five distilleries then, and now there are more than thirty-five distilleries. So it was a pretty big, pretty big, pretty significant deal.
0: I was gonna say, I mean, and, and for you all, you were able to bring uh you know the first legal distillery into chattanooga in over a century and obviously start m- making your own w- was there ever a point once you kind of kind of finally got everything passed and and so forth though where you were like okay this is still a lot I, we still got a lot more work to do and did you ever feel like it wasn't going to work out
1: well yeah i mean we went through a rough patch um for pretty much the next year and what was really hard is that once the I mean, fighting laws was a really exciting time. Um, you know, we were uh, we had some people that kind of referred to us as like the the whiskey barons or the whiskey ramblers, you know. <laughs> and that was that was you know, and the timing was was right, and it was a very um, it was kind of at one of I'd say Chattanooga's like peaks entrepreneur entrepreneurially. Um, I say that you know. Uh, hoping that you know it hasn't peaked here but but it was still a very exciting time there were lots of startups there were lots of incubators and so um, so it was just all around a fun exciting time to start something new and but but I knew that uh, that once the laws passed the rubber would need to meet the road um, in terms of securing funding, and building an operation and some, you know, things that, uh, that as an entrepreneur I had never done before. I mean, we had raised a bunch of MES debt, hundreds of thousands of dollars, nearly a million dollars worth of MES debt to secure inventory to, to launch 1816. And, um, and you know, we bought 1200 barrels from LDI back in uh, 2011, 2012. So that was a big deal, but then to actually have a capital round pay off that debt and build a distillery was you know, it was just a new ball game, and I was I was you know quite nervous about that. Um, trying to find a location and just can t- keeping the momentum alive was really was a was a big deal, you know how we kept the momentum alive and um, and finding again finding a location, in kind of you know making this announcement, Chattanooga we did it, we fought the laws we won now we're gonna build a distillery and we can't wait to reveal where that's gonna be. Well, we revealed like three different locations. Um, meaning like every, every time we would reveal a location, it would fall through. So we kind of got on a slippery slope in 20, 2013, 2014. And yeah, there was there was a moment where I thought it was not gonna happen. Um, and then we, you know, we, we were very successful at raising money right when the law changed actually. So we got the, we got the capital raised, um, we paid off the mezdad and, you know, the, the inventory and, um, and we were ready to build our first distillery. But, uh, I think, you know, our eyes were much bigger than our stomachs could handle. And we were, we were, you know, we were basically just inexperienced and our, uh, and we weren't and, and my co-founder and I were not aligned on exactly what we wanted to do and how we wanted to go about it. And, you know, that eventually ended with us splitting. And it was around that time that I thought that, well, if the partnership doesn't survive, then neither will the business. And, uh, but, you know, we've got some amazing investors that rallied around us and um, and we rebounded. And when we rebounded, we, we built something that looked very different than what we were trying to build. We built the uh, Chattanooga whiskey experimental distillery and we hired a head brewer. Um, and, uh, and man, those two decisions ended up being the best decisions in the, uh, in the history of our company.
0: I was going to say uh, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but things seem to work out very well for you all nowadays, obviously, uh, you know, success is paid with, you know, some, some bumpy roads for, for sure. One thing that I find very interesting and, you know, a lot of small craft guys, you know, uh, or, you know, starting out distilleries go through this. You know, that you mentioned the 1816 series, which was your signature at the beginning was sourced uh, from LDI, which is out of Indiana, which most people don't know. Most bourbon you might have or whiskey that you might have might be coming from there, regardless of where right. the, the, the label says. You all, though, were pretty much upfront with that from the get go. And then you did something that I think is pretty interesting. You went away from that. You, once you were able to kind of do your own thing, you guys said, nope, we're retiring that and moving in a different direction.
1: Yeah. We've done lots of things that uh, have raised eyebrows um, along the way, just in terms of it, it, you know, really seeming like we're kind of going against the grain. And, um, yeah, I mean, finding LDI was was a big deal for us because they had really quality juice, and there weren't a lot of options back then. And it was and it was you know five to six hundred dollars a barrel for three to four year old whiskey back then, bourbon, you know, high quality bourbon. And that was uh, very relatively inexpensive back then. I thought it was expensive, but um, but now I realize just how inexpensive it was. But uh, so finding that source was a uh, was a big deal. Um, and you know, it was the 1816 line was all about telling the story of Chattanooga, Tennessee and what, what whiskey used to be in Chattanooga. Right. And it was kind and that was, that was having that, having that story was our campaign to raise awareness and change laws and say, Hey, could, you know, can't you just imagine if this was actually made in Chattanooga, Tennessee? And, you know, it was an authentic whiskey distilled here and the jobs were here and and that was all part of our story, so there was really no reason for us to hide anything, and um, and that was all. And that was also why the vote whiskey campaign was was what it was. I mean, uh, we we created the vote whiskey campaign to say that hey, we're not making it. We want to make it, and we want to make it here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And so um, it just wouldn't make sense for us to uh, to you know cover that up. And, uh, and we enjoyed actually, we enjoyed being authentic and, uh, and being real about where, about sourcing whiskey at a time that there were a lot of brands that were not. So we were kind of (laughs) renegades, you know, uh, in terms of our transparency. And, um, and so that was, that was fun for us. Um, so yeah, then, You know, down down the road, after a lot of things changed, uh, after changing the laws, and you know, building the experimental distillery and hiring Grant, you know, Grant and I, it was a, it was a um, new time. It was our time to define Chattanooga whiskey's path and our, you know, define our future, define who we were, and we did not want to be defined by MGP and uh we had spent 2 years changing laws we had gone through a lot it's a very complicated few year history leading up to that point we built a smaller distillery that would allow us to experiment because the batches were just not as high risk because they were smaller they were just such small batches and grant's expertise is you know maximizing flavor it's maximizing flavor in beer it was i mean he was the head of r&d for a a big time craft brewery and um, you know, he had, he spent his career working with specialty malted grains and different types of yeasts and uh, different uh, fermentations and even different uh, barrel finishes. So he spent a whole year. I mean, he spent his whole career doing this from the beer side of things and we felt like, man, let's, uh, let's incorporate, let's, let's maximize our flavor. We did, we knew that we weren't going to just make a three grain traditional Tennessee whiskey with a charcoal filtration. We didn't want to do that. That's, that's Jack Daniels, you know, thing. That's not our thing. And, uh, but we did, we've been selling bourbon, so we didn't want to abandon that. We wanted to continue to make it, uh, make a straight bourbon whiskey. That's what we love. That's what we built a brand off of a several thousand case brand, just in the 1816 brand in three States. So there was a lot of things about holding on to the tradition um, of what made Chattanooga whiskey great and what made bourbon great that uh, we wanted to capitalize on. And we felt like we could, you know, through the experimental distillery over a several year period, we felt like we could explore specialty malts and uh, long cold fermentations and different types of yeast and Um, you know, different barrel finishes, different toasts and chars. We felt like we could really explore that in these small batches before we ended up ultimately building a much larger craft distillery and scaling up something that would ultimately replace 1816 Reserve and 1816 Cask. And it was a huge risk, but we felt confident that we could pull it off.
0: I was going to say, I mean, I I see a, a, a pattern here with everything traditionally, you know, looking back at the history of Chattanooga. And I don't want to say renegades, but, you know, you were doing things different. You were doing things your, your own way. And did you guys go through like a, about a 100 different recipes to come up with what ended up being Whiskey 91 and Cask 111?
1: We did. And that's, to me, that's kind of my favorite part of the story. Uh, when I'm telling it, uh, there's lots of different elements um, or phases. You've got that pre-prohibition phase, and then you've got Chattanooga whiskey, launches phase and the vote whiskey phase, and then the build, you know, and then the experimental whiskey distillery, you know, and, and grant and I, uh, coming together over that phase. And, and I would say that the most significant phase to Chattanooga whiskey and to our story, and what I think is the most interesting part of our story is how we did it. I mean, from 2015 to 2017 we didn't know when we were going to build another distillery or a larger distillery to scale, to to scale anything up. So, uh, so we, you know, took a chance on, on that by, you know, I mean, it wasn't even, it wasn't my idea to do a different recipe every week. That was Grant's idea. And (laughs) I was, and I was really nervous about that. Um, because I felt like we had to lay this new foundation and, the only way we were going to do it is if we just started putting away one or two, max three recipes. So when Grant said he kind of he challenged me on, are we going to is this is this the is this the last distillery we're going to build? Is this going to be our capacity? Is this going to be our scale? And no, I felt like it was much much bigger than this, and that was you know obviously a big reason that he made his career move um, down to Chattanooga. And uh, brought his wife and child at the time. Now, now he's got two children. But uh, so it was. It was to be more than that, and it was to, you know, be the you know the the biggest and the best craft distillery in the country someday. And so he said, "Well, then let's ex- let's really push the envelope and let's explore it." Uh, I'd say Let, let's explore it every week. And we, he said we'll be able to sell all this stuff, you know. And I said, ah, "Well, it's a good point." So, all right, let's, uh, let's do it. Let's, let's figure out what this thing is. And so we knew it was specialty malts and long, cold fermentations. Um, Grant started, you know, designing these things in his head about these different recipes. And, uh, and we, you know, sometimes we'd be a little more conservative. Sometimes we push the envelope a little harder, but you know, it was, we, we early on really towards the very beginning, laid a foundation that none of this stuff would have less than 25% specialty malts in the recipe. And that's when we coined and trademarked our own style of straight pepper whiskey called Tennessee High Malt. So Tennessee High Malt is what we became focused on to be our future. But of course, we didn't know what the flagship was going to be. So all of a sudden, you know, I mean, uh, a year after our first year at the experimental whiskey distillery was very successful from a tourism standpoint, from an overall experience, from a distilling. we got, we, were, we got really excited about some stuff we were putting away, but of course, we were tasting it. As white whiskey or very very young whiskey right so we didn't have anything to really we didn't have anything to go by that was that was aged of any significance so um we began fundraising for you know uh with our existing investors primarily um and all local friends and family for this bigger distillery so we went ahead and went for it being like all right well you know what after two years of, of uh, distilling at the Experimental Whiskey Distillery, we're pretty damn confident that we're going to have something great to replace 1816. And uh, and so that's what we did. We raised the money, and we began building the Chatternick Whiskey Riverfront Distillery before we even had a recipe picked out, <laughs> and which is crazy. I mean, it really is crazy. And then...
0: Hey, but and- that, that, that takes guts. That takes guts.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I was obviously I had I had a a handful of years of uh, just flying blind and and just doing things that were really just, you know, um, doing things without a plan. And when Grant came on board, I was just so confident in his ability. And he hadn't even I mean, he was a certified distiller, but he didn't have his he had never distilled as a career. So, But I was just so incredibly confident in him and trusted him. And our philosophy is really married up on what we wanted this thing to look like that I felt like just based off that alone, that relationship and that culture that we were building, I felt like it was going to be much, much bigger than this and that we were going to come up with something very unique and a great tasting product. So yeah, so when we built the Riverfront Distillery in 2017 and um, when when we finished it, in March of 2017, we had over a hundred barrels put away. Um, they were more than a, in, within those hundred barrels. There were more than a hundred different specialty malts used and there were over 30 different yeasts used as well. And then we also utilized different toasts and chars. We had some 30 gallon barrels in there, mainly 53s, but we had some 30s, some 53s, and then we had different toasts and chars in there as well. So, um, our team, uh, you know, literally, I think it, maybe it was one week before we got our certificate of occupancy to begin distilling at the Riverfront Distillery, you know, this, this multi million dollar <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> operation. And, uh, and our team, we did like, it was like, it was a, we created a bracket basically. And um, it was like bracketology. And we narrowed it down from uh, basically like, you know, from 100, close to 120 down to 60 40 20 and got it down to four and then grant and i uh chose our favorite of the four and it just happened to be barrel number 91.
0: I, I i love that and uh you know i was able to to try both whiskey 91 and then what now becomes uh you know a slightly different variation of that is the cask 111 and uh the, they were both wonderful um I, I wasn't the only one sampling my my wife uh w- was helping me out and uh she enjoyed the ninety one uh, enough to the point where she went back for another sample, All maybe right. a rather large, large <laughs> sample. Perfect. <That's laughs> um, a win. You know, and I thought it was great. You know, they're definitely different. Um, you can tell the difference, and I know they're also they are made slightly different at the very end. But you know, the ninety one was very enjoyable with nice balance, and I thought the Casca uh, one eleven was very flavorful and almost came with a little punch. You know, that extra. Uh, you know, where it doesn't go through the filtration gives a little extra punch. I'm guessing you all had to be pretty, you know, taken back by those because you then got some awards for them. I mean, that had to make you guys feel pretty good too.
1: Yeah, the award thing is one of those. It's kind of a necessary evil in some ways. Um, we 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 need. I mean, PRs are so important, and some uh, some consumer, you know, some public validation for consumers. Um, you know, through awards is is pretty important, but you know, I mean, Chatterley whiskey is different now. You know, I mean, it does have some similarities to 1816 because of its use of uh, yellow corn and um, 53 gallon New American white oak, et cetera. Again, it's a straight bourbon whiskey, so it's got some similarities, but uh, but it's quite a bit different. And you know, what we're finding is that in blind tastings we are very successful. Um, but if it's not a blind tasting, it's, uh, it takes a little bit of a, uh, bold consumer, uh, somewhat of an independent mind to kind of step outside the box and say, and and be willing to, to say that, or or to admit that it's good. Right. I mean, because it's not a six to 10 year old Kentucky bourbon, bourbon, you know? So, um, that's so anyways, we're, uh, we were just thrilled with the product and it's kind of, there's a funny backstory behind the release of 91 and in terms of the timing, because you know, we, you, you read that, man, it's, it doesn't taste its age and you, you read it a lot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and for us, you know, age is kind of just a number and it's just one, it's just one flavor component of many. But historically, it hasn't been treated that way. It's been treated as the flavor component. And the the barrel has been treated as the flavor component. Fermentation, really, not much attention has been paid to the art of fermentation. It's been more about just get it fermented and get it into a barrel. And so, you know, historically, short, hot fermentations, in order to achieve that, so, you know, for, you know, beginning with a, a four grain recipe, three specialty malts, long cold fermentations, a lower distillation proof at 133 off the still, a lower barrel entry proof at 115, a combination of four chars and three chars with our own toast profile, a Solera, a 4,000 gallon white oak Solera barrel, um, a truly unfiltered 111, a single fermentation 111. I mean, every single one of these steps have huge flavor implications. And I mean, really massive. And so we look at those as all major um, kind of equal flavor drivers, flavor components, and age is just one of them. So we read it all the time and we knew that that was going, that was going to be the case. And the product is getting older as we sit here. I mean, it's, we're producing significantly more than we're selling. And so the average age goes up. We've had, you know, 99 rye malt. That was a, over a three-year product, our single barrels are over three years. Uh, you know, we will be coming out with a couple of uh, products coming up that will be um, over three, and one, and a, and one that's over four. Our experimental single barrels are over four right now; they're four, you know, pushing four and a half. Um, so we do have some products that are a little bit older. Um is between two. I want to say it's maybe ninety-one, one eleven, or right around maybe two and a half right now. Um, so. Um but here's how it's kind of funny how it came about. Um I mean cash flow was was a consideration for sure but it wasn't like the consideration. Um the consideration was when I I've been I'm just so impatient when it comes to I just get so excited about what this product tastes like ahead of time and Grant you know he's much more uh he's much more kind of um methodical in term, I mean, obviously that's what he that's that's what he's paid to do. It's what he is great at. But he's in his mind, he's like, look, there's no point in tasting it until it's ready, right? So I don't have like Grant doesn't feel the need to go back and drill into barrels or thieve from barrels, you know, once a month. Uh, he just doesn't. It doesn't. It's not going to do anything for him. Uh, whereas. You know, I just am so excited about our future that I'm going back there in Riverfront, and he's we're starting to fill up the barrel house, and I'm like, "Grant, can we uh, can we go pool?" And he's just like, "Yeah, sure, every time," you know. (laughs) And so I'm like, "Thanks for you know uh, entertaining me." And so we would do it, and you know, for the first like the 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 white dog, it's just so good and so flavorful. Now I've heard some say. Um, that they don't necessarily believe that a white dog really has any indication of a good white dog has any indication of a good aged whiskey. But we haven't seen that, uh, found that to be the case. Uh, We've found that a good white dog makes a good whiskey. So we've had absolutely delicious white dog whiskey coming off of uh, the still at our 91 recipe. And as they went away in barrels, we would put, we already started the half four char, half three char with the toast. And so I would, you know, about once, once a month or so, I'd, you know, go back and drill into them and taste them. And, you know, they, for the first year, I mean, when, when you don't, within the first year, if you don't hit certain seasons, it does make a huge impact. So like if, if you're tasting product, let's say that's like six months old, but it's never experienced, or say it's eight months old, nine months old, but it's never experienced a summer before, then it's, uh, that summer is just so critical. So, um. So the product was, I was like, man, it's got it's got the foundation. It's gonna be great. And mind you, this is off of a column pot doubler, opposed to just a hundred-gallon pot still, which is a major, pretty major difference in flavor profiles. So we scaled up 91 off of a pot still to a column and a doubler, which so we knew it wasn't gonna be exactly the same. So yeah, I mean like I was pretty nervous about that. And so I, I just can't, you know, so I'm going back and, you know, we get to like a year old and I'm like, man, you know, it's just obviously like, it's still got kind of a vinegary. It's just kind of, even at a year, it's just still a little vinegary and, uh, and obviously, you know, tasting young and sometime between like 12 months, I think I gave it a rest, but like that gave it a sampling a rest. but it was between like 12 months in in 19 months, that I I pulled a sample at 19 months, and it was a total holy cow moment. It had it had changed like it had totally turned a corner, and I was so confident in it. And Grant, it's so funny, Grant hated this at the time. He, I was so <laughs> confident in how good it was that. I, I was like, you know what? We have nothing to lose in blind tastings with this product. Because if people say tastes young, well, it is. So, and it's not for sale. So, it's not a big deal. So, but I think it tastes so good that I probably blind tasted, I was between 50 and 100. It was a lot. It was a lot of people. And it was really refined palates. I mean, people that were professional bartenders, craft, you know, craft bartenders slash mixologists, chefs, uh, James Beard chefs. Um, I mean, I tasted a lot of people on our product blind tasting them and I would take it and I'd put it up against the stuff that everybody thinks tastes really good. You know, a lot of, uh, Buffalo Trace products, Four Roses products, uh, you know, Brown Foreman products. And, um, we won at nineteen months. We won like I mean, we won the blind tastings like ninety five percent of the time. I'm talking like over fifty blind tastings. We won like ninety five percent of the time, and I have an exact number somewhere. I can't remember it, but but I would I would ask them to guess uh, the age, and I would say the average age uh, quoted was somewhere between, like on a, on a minimum six years old and maximum like 10 years old. <laughs> and it was and when I when I told when I revealed that it was 19 month Chattanooga whiskey, 91, it blew people's minds every time. And Grant, even though he was very unhappy that I was going to blind tasting people, <laughs> I said, dude, just trust me. It's a win win. Like we, we just can't lose on this because and. When, when the results came back, I said, dude, I want to, I want to release this product at over two years old. And I feel like, I feel like we can. And he, we were a hundred percent, uh, on board, um, after all those blind tastings because of that.
0: that. That is awesome. And it is, and it is, it is a great product. I, I've, you know, a, a friend of mine, uh, has some family down there and when I, you know, kind of. Uh, Showed off some of the bottles. He was like, "That's every time I go by there, I make sure to bring some home with me." Because he lives in Ohio now, and it it is a great product. And that is one thing I read as well was it tastes older than it is. And uh, I like age is only a number. I think that applies to not just whiskey, but (laughs) but but a lot of things in life (laughs) for for sure. Um, My my last question for for you, Tim, though, is what's next for you all? Because it sounds like you've got some more stuff coming down the way. Obviously, things get a little older. Uh, you, you know, you get to do a few more different things. What's next for uh, Chattanooga whiskey.
1: So right now um, we are expanding our distribution. Uh, we're doing it very strategically and slowly, but because um, we were in Tennessee, Georgia, South Carolina for seven years before we expanded into our fourth state, uh, which was, uh, which was Alabama and then Florida. So um we 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 probably are not going to go much wider than uh, than where we are at the by the end of this year, which will be 12 states, and we are in the process of launching Illinois and Ohio, and so kind of uh, we're going to start tackling the Midwest. So we'll kind of have the Southeast covered, uh, including Texas and Colorado, which are kind of out of the Southeast, and then um, and then uh, and then the Midwest before we go up to the Northeast or the West Coast. So. That's that's a you know that's big for us. Um, we do have some new releases coming up that will join ninety one one eleven. We just released ninety nine rye, which is a malted rye, so it's in the Tennessee high malt family. Everything we do will be. So that's uh, that's really exciting. We continue to do, and we've done over three hundred experimental barrels. So uh, I think we had. This, this just this year alone i don't even know how many experimentals we've released this year over 10 i mean we've done if you include the single barrels it'll be so we've had uh we've had a lot of releases out of the experimental distillery um we'll continue to have those we we continue to innovate but we innovate within the 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 parameters that we've kind of constructed which uh, the the tennessee high malt parameters so that's what we're focused on. We don't have, you know, again, we've got some really exciting releases in 2021 that will join 91, 111, and 99 Rymalt in distribution. We have some really exciting experimental releases the remaining of this year, remainder of this year, and then uh, next year as well, of course, and moving forward, and and then slowly but surely um, gaining distribution. I mean that that's it. We're not. We're not really focused on anything else. So <laughs> I know that doesn't sound exciting, but you know, when we, when we built the riverfront distillery, some might say we bit off more than we can chew. And, uh, cause we definitely, there were definitely bigger shoes than our feet could fill. And, and we are now filling those shoes and we'll continue to fill those shoes for a long time to come. So I just can't really look past that.
0: I was gonna say you guys make, make some great stuff. I mean, it's the first time I've had it first time my family had it and pretty much no one, had uh, well, for sure, no one actually had anything bad to say. They all said it was it was wonderful, really enjoyable. Uh, so you guys are doing big things, and and I think your story is great because you you're kind of in tradition but doing things your own way, kind of that non traditional way. So it's kind of a unique balance, and I love love the story of Chattanooga whiskey.
1: Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate that, Jonathan. I'm glad your wife enjoyed it. My wife was not a uh, big whiskey drinker. Um, she does have a good palate. And she has always enjoyed 91 and 111, so uh, it's obviously for not just the men, but uh, the you know the men and the ladies. So,
0: absolutely, absolutely. And and I'm kind of a young whiskey uh, you know drinker. She, my my wife's kind of the other way, and uh, and I loved it too. So, Tim, thank you so much for for hopping on with us.
1: Awesome, thanks, Jonathan. It was great uh, hanging out. Uh,
0: it was awesome talking to Tim Pearson, owner founder of Chattanooga whiskey in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Let me put it to you this way. If you've been following me uh, or us on Instagram at Hop Spirits, Twitter or Facebook at Hoff Spirits, all one word, you will know that I have really enjoyed the Chattanooga Whiskey. Uh, the, the 91 is great. and I really, really love uh, the Cask 111. It might be my favorite one that I've kind of been going to here in recent weeks. So you got to check it out. Remember, don't forget our past episodes of Whiskey Weeks, like talking to Nicole uh, Austin and George Dickel to kick it off and then also talking with Tripp Stimson of Barrel Craft Spirits and Michael Toscano of Waterford Reserve about cocktails. Those episodes are up. You can find those uh, where podcasts are available. And if you need a little help, uh, just click the link in our bio. Uh, remember, we've got a great episode for you next week with the Hubers of out of Indiana to talk a little uh, of what they're doing. And uh, it's a lot of fun here on Whiskey Weeks. And don't forget to check out our friends at One Sip Beer Review at One Sip Beer Review on Instagram. They do near daily beer reviews, some giveaways, and they have a lot of fun. That's at One Sip Beer Review on Instagram. Until next time, cheers, everyone.